the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Tuesday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever is on your heart. You need only to call 210-340-9585. If you are outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Normally we have nothing going on Tuesday, but we're running out of here right after the program. It is our annual high school awards banquet tonight. So uh, all of our kids, uh, ninth grade on up, are at their awards banquet. It's always a really, really neat time. You know, one of the awards that we give is called the Timothy Award. And the Timothy Award has been given to uh, that student which uh, exhibits the most godly or the most Christ-like character or behavior. And it's always thrilling. And, you know, in this day and age where kids are on social media and they're being dragged all over the place in terms of the silly and crazy stuff that's going on out there. Um, It's really neat, especially when that winner is announced. Um, Obviously, if it's the most godly character, uh, everybody's aware of it, and it's always a big cheer. It's a neat, neat thing. So that is tonight, um, and we give away all of the awards for honor roll and straight A's and all of the other things. So this is a good night. It's the only bad thing for me is all these girls, especially, they look so grown. They get dressed up and they put on high heels and and they look so grown and I feel so old. But what a blessing it is to be able to be with them. So we're doing that tonight. Um, On Thursday, of course, is our graduation. Uh, We're saying goodbye to 12 seniors who are, uh, have been such a blessing. All of them born again Christians this year and And uh, that will be the final event that we have uh, anything to do with uh, relative school. There's some parties and stuff going on on the weekend. But but, um, that will be the close of our 24th year of a free school. I just heard today a well-known church in town uh, charges uh, $10,000 a month um, for their students. I'm sorry, not $10,000, $10,000 a year. Uh, for each student, and and this is a church that's pretty wealthy, and I, I I only say that just because I'm so grateful that God has provided us an opportunity to show him how to show the world just how generous He wants to be, uh, because these kids and their families pay nothing, and they get the best care and they get the most love staff. Um, it's always a little bit 
sad at the end of the school year, but um, then time starts rolling around again and we're going right into the next school year. So uh, pray for our kids. We appreciate it very, very much. Uh, Tomorrow, in fact, on the program, uh, Paula and I, we get the opportunity to take um, the graduating seniors to lunch with Pastor Will, who is the principal of our school, and his wife, Natasha. So we take them out to lunch. Uh, then we bring them back here, and they will be on the program tomorrow. Uh, I get the opportunity just to have uh, interviewed them, and they get to share their hearts with you. And it's always a blessing. I would encourage all of you who are parents to, to tune in and have your kids listening as well. Um, You'll be blessed tomorrow, I'm sure. Okay, let's get to our questions while we're waiting any phone calls. We've got Ruben on line one from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. I can't wait to hear tomorrow's show. That's going to be, uh, I think that's the first time. Did y'all do it last year? Oh, no, we, we've been doing it now for many, many years, Ruben. So, yeah. Wow. I, I didn't, I missed it. So I'm looking forward to it tomorrow. Oh. See. Yeah, Ruben, these kids will really bless you too. I mean, they're uh, they're committed believers, and um, seven of the twelve have been here since kindergarten. So um, I oh, mean, wow. yeah, it's a neat, neat thing. Wow! Praise the Lord. Well, I can't wait to hear hear the show. I won't call in. I'll just sit and listen. But <laughs> um, I, I have I have a question, and I can't I can't believe that I'm going to ask this because. I've never really thought of it. I mean, I've heard about it, the rapture, mm-hmm. um, I, but I've never really, like, paid attention to it. And yesterday I, w- I was watching uh, uh, this this uh, Christian satellite thing, and uh, they were talking about it. And so it got me wondering because I never I – never, I don't know if, you, if I've ever heard you talk about it. Now, this guy said – that the rapture is going to happen before the seven years of tribulation. And in the seven years, there was going to be three and a half good ones and then three and a half bad ones. Um, Or maybe I misunderstood them. But anyways, am I to understand correctly that the rapture is going to happen? Okay, he said that the rapture could happen anytime. Yep. And so not necessarily right before the seven years of tribulation or is it are the seven years of tribulation going to come after we are raptured out of here yeah Ruben I talk about the rapture a lot I get a lot of questions on the program about it and I have pretty extensive teaching on the rapture on our website if you're really interested in going in depth you can go to uh, calvaryessay.com and go to the Revelation studies. And uh, always the very first Bible study I do uh, in Revelation chapter 4 is the rapture. And I deal with it in depth and with a lot of detail. And it's really interesting. Um, it's, it's Paul calls the rapture of the church the blessed hope of the church. Uh, Jesus said that when in talking about the great tribulation, he said, pray that you'll be counted worthy to escape these things. Now, the rapture is not escapist theology, but the reality is that we will escape the great hour of trial that's going to come upon all of those who live upon the earth. That's Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. So the rapture is simply this, Jesus coming for his church before God's wrath is poured out on this world. The last seven years, what what we know as the Great Tribulation, those seven years are the worst time. It's called the time of Jacob's trouble or Jacob's distress. Jacob meaning, of course, Israel. Um, It's a time when God turns his attention back to Israel and in particular to Jerusalem, uh, where Jesus will eventually set up his millennial kingdom. Um, It's a time where God deals with um, a Christ-rejecting world, and that's why the Great Tribulation is so horrible. Um, it's, It's just God giving the world what they want, complete independence from God. They become enemies of God, and the man that we call the Antichrist is let loose. Uh, on this earth, and he will be satanically empowered. It will be the worst time, worse than anything we can possibly imagine um, in human history. Jesus said nothing 
ever has happened like this, nor will anything ever happen again like this. That's how bad it is. And it's just God judging the world that's rejected Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, before Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom, um, he's got to deal with um, the sin in the world. God is holy and just, and the world must be judged. That's what the Great Tribulation is. It's God's wrath being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. Now, as it relates to the time, Reuben, um, it could happen at any moment. There's nothing prophetically that needs to be done before Jesus returns for his church. Now, this isn't Jesus returning to the earth to establish his kingdom. That happens in Revelation chapter 19, and it happens at the end of the seven-year Great Tribulation. But sometime before that Great Tribulation begins, Jesus is going to come for people like you and me. And we're going to be taken away from here. We're going to be taken to him, to the marriage supper of the Lamb, It's going to last as earth sees time, seven years for you and for me, where there it'll seem like just a minute, but it will be the time when we are officially married to Jesus, uh, where we receive the goal of our salvation. And uh, what it means is that that we'll just leave this place. Our bodies will be changed. First Corinthians 15, 51, Paul says, listen, I tell you a mystery. And that Greek word means something that's never been fully revealed before, something that Jesus revealed to him. And he says, we will not all die, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be in heaven with Jesus. He'll come to meet us in the air. He's not coming to earth twice. He's going to meet us in the air, and we're going to be caught up in an instant In an instant, we're going to be caught up and we're going to be with him. And it's that event, the rapture of the church, is what will kick off the last seven years of history as we know it. Daniel chapter 9 talks about Jesus being cut off uh, after 69 sevens or 69 groups of seven years uh, without uh, anything. In other words, he didn't get what he came for. Uh, And then there's this gap. It's lasted about 2,000 years thus far. Um, and then Jesus is going to come back. Again, we don't know when that's going to be, but the rapture could happen at any moment, and it's God taking us to be away from him while he pours out his wrath on this earth. Now, the timing of the rapture, Reuben, is important, and the reason it's important is because it would be uh, in opposition to God's character to pour out his wrath, his anger, on people whose sin has already been judged. Your sin, Reuben, my sin has already been judged. Jesus took God's wrath for us. And that means God's not angry with us. And that's why he's going to take us away from the place when he pours out his wrath and his anger on a Christ-rejecting world. But uh, Reuben, it's a very important doctrine. It's not an essential of our historic Christian faith, but it's really, really important. Jesus said that a wicked and lazy servant says, my master delays his coming. And uh, those of us who are um, uh, who believe uh, in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, um, we're looking for Jesus to return. And at any moment, one final thought here, Reuben, and this is why it's so important. One only has to look at the world around us right now. That's all we have to do. Just look at the world around us. And we can see the overwhelming evidence of satanic involvement. We can see people who are um, fooled by um, um, obvious lies. I was with a group of pastors uh, this morning. And we're talking about this, what you see with your own eyes before you, uh, we can believe isn't true. And um, and uh, the, the speed at which um, the evil in this world is, is uh, progressing, uh, just overwhelming, and we're just about at the end. He could come at any moment, and we should live our lives in such a way as to be ready when he comes. Because it could happen at any moment. God bless you, Reuben. Thanks very much. And you will enjoy tomorrow's program, I guess, uh, I promise you. Here's a question called in from Tom in San Antonio. 
Uh, Genesis 6-2 refers to the sons of God and daughters of men. There are theories that these sons of God were actually fallen angels. Can I get your input on this? Um, Tom, yeah, um, the, the, the controversy over this is that uh, people, especially people that don't really believe in the supernatural, uh, believe that it's impossible for angels to cohabit with the sons of men. We need to remember a couple of things about this. First, the term sons of God in the Hebrew is never used in any other connection than with angels. The sons of God, they're angels, period. And there's no precedent at all for saying they're anything else. There are some who say, no, the sons of God are the descendants of Seth because that's the godly line. Um, but but that would be unprecedented in term of in terms of Bible interpretation. Hermeneutic uh, simply doesn't permit that. So um, they are fallen angels. Uh, evidently, there are some angels that were so powerful um, that they could cohabit with women. Uh, they could take on the appearance of humans. We know that's not unusual. Um, um, angels often appear uh, as humans to people in in the Bible. Um, we also know that uh, in Genesis 18 uh, and 19, um, uh, the men in Sodom and Gomorrah believed they could have sex with the angels uh, because they, they, they appeared as human. Um, so um, I just don't think there's any doubt that these are fallen angels. Now, the result of this union, this unholy union, uh, these are the angels that did not keep their first estate. And by the way, there's still some of those angels. They're just sealed in a dungeon uh, in the center of the earth, in the abyss, and they won't be released until the great tribulation. And it's a part of God's final judgment in the last half of the great tribulation. Um, so um, it was this incident which prompted Noah's flood. Um the whole satanic plan was to so pollute the human line that Jesus could not come from any human. And, of course, we know that um, Mary was human, um, but God preserved the world um, by destroying all of the people, um, binding these angels in the abyss. Uh, and he did that because the, the enemy was trying to pollute the the human line. So um, they can only be angels. I know there are people who say, well, angels can't have sex. Well, you're right, but there were evidently some that could, and um, that's the thing you have to deal with. I think the biggest key for me, Tom, is that the flood, Genesis 6, of course, is where this appears. What's in Genesis 6, where Noah's flood begins and, um, um, you know, God's reaction to uh, the sin uh, was overwhelming and the only justification for it was to to uh, give humankind another opportunity to begin. So, yes, they are the sons of God. They're angels, fallen angels in this case. Um, Tom, if you would like to go to our website, calvarysa.com, um, I, my teaching on that, I think, is pretty detailed and answers all of the questions of the people who really don't embrace the supernatural event of uh, Genesis chapter 6. Thank you for the question, Tom. Appreciate it very, very much. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here is a question from Kay from our email inbox. She says, hello there. Had a Calvinist tell me that after the resurrection, Jesus didn't restore Judas because he was not of the elect, and Peter betrayed Jesus but was chosen. Hence, Jesus restored him. I replied that Judas killed himself while Jesus was in custody. He pointed me to Paul's letter in 1 Corinthians fifteen three through 5. For what I received, and this is what the, that passage says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. So this seems to indicate that Judas saw the risen Christ 
and therefore killed himself afterwards. So in my friend's theology, Judas was not one of the elect. Therefore, Jesus did not restore him from his betrayal as he did Peter from his betrayal. Uh, please help me see the truth and make and help this make sense. Um, okay, I can do that. I think one of the things that we need to remember is Judas was chosen. I mean, Jesus very clearly says, have I, cho- have I not chosen 12 of you and one of you is a devil? So G- Judas was chosen um, just like the other disciples who would become apostles were. Um, your Calvinist friend is always going to look at things through a Calvinist filter, and that's going to distort things. Um, we know on two occasions uh, the basis upon which God chooses people is he chooses them uh, according to his foreknowledge, Romans 8, 29, 1 Peter chapter 1, the first couple of verses, uh, according to his foreknowledge. Uh, so while Jesus chose Judas, and remember, Jesus only did what he saw his father do. So the father chose Judas, but uh, but knew that Judas, of course, was going to be the betrayer. Uh, the First Corinthians 13 or 15 passage that uh, that I read uh, has nothing to do with Judas, has nothing to do with Peter at all. This is just Paul talking about the resurrection uh, and the gospel. Verses 1 through 3 are the gospel. And then um, the rest is about the resurrected body that we're going to have in Christ. And it has nothing to do with that. When When you see the reference to the 12, um, when Paul is writing that, uh, remember by this time, Matthias has already replaced Judas, and uh, and 12 simply is the number of apostles designated by the Lord. So it's just a general term. Uh, he didn't miscount. Um, was Peter chosen? Yeah. And he was restored. And he repented. Judas... Jesus said, I will not in any way cast out any who come to me. So had Judas come to him with a truly repentant heart, then he would have been spared. He would have been restored as well. But of course, God knew that wasn't going to be the case. So what did Judas do? Judas was sorry things didn't work out the way he wanted them to. He never took responsibility for his sin. Jesus gave him many opportunities uh, when Judas kissed him on the cheek in the Garden of Gethsemane, and and, uh, and uh, Jesus said, "Betrayest thou the Son of Man with a kiss?" Right then, Judas could have repented. He could have said, "Lord, I've done something horrible." Before that, in the upper room, Jesus said, "One of you is a betrayer," and when it was indicated that Judas was the betrayer. Judas and Jesus had a private moment. Lord, is it me? In other words, Judas was asking, did you find out it was me? Did you find out what I did? And Jesus looked at him and said, what you do, do quickly. And that was when Judas left the upper room. And that was the last time that Jesus would have seen Judas. So uh, the, the reference to the 12, you've really got to do some scripture twisting, and that's what Calvinists do. You've really got to do some scripture t- twisting to, to think that Judas uh, was one of those, and the reason that Peter was restored and he wasn't was because Judas wasn't chosen and Peter was. One other comment about election. Election or predestination, being chosen by God, is never, ever, ever spoken of in the Bible relative to judgment. It is only and always spoken about relative to salvation. So the idea that that Judas was uh, just simply not one of the the elect uh, is nonsense. He was chosen um, in spite of the fact that he was going to betray. Now, obviously, Judas didn't know that he was going to betray the Lord, but Jesus did. Jesus could see into his heart. We also know that Judas was a thief. He was stealing from the money bag, from the treasury. And clearly the Lord knew about that. But he didn't stop him. His heart was revealed many occasions. Judas wanted what Judas wanted, period. And Jesus, of course, was looking then, and he's still looking now for people who want 
his will to be done in their lives. That is the difference, okay, between Judas and Peter. Peter denied Jesus. Peter repented. Jesus restored him. Judas took the coward's way out and killed himself. Thank you for the question, Kay. Be careful talking to your Calvinist friends. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question. I know we're running out of time. Uh, Let me see if I have one I can do really quickly. Uh, Kennedy, here's her question. Uh, which is correct, baptized in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit? Kennedy, what I always tell my church here is it doesn't matter what terms you use as long as you're baptized in the Spirit or filled with the Spirit. So I think both are important. The idea of baptized is simply immersed, completely and totally surrendered to the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, filled overflowing, is exactly the same thing. So you can use whatever term you're more comfortable with, um, but just be sure. The one thing, the only thing that matters is that you can be filled with the Spirit every single day, baptized in the Spirit every single day. We need everything that Jesus has for us. We've got 30 minutes left in our Tuesday program, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program, 340-9585. We've got about 30 minutes left to take your calls and questions. Here is a question that came in from Billy uh, from our mobile app. A follow-up from yesterday's call. Does 1 Peter 4.1 apply to my physical sufferings or am I taking it out of context? Here's what 1 Peter 4.1 says, and let me... Um, sort of deal with it, and then we'll get down to what it really does, uh, what it really does deal with in context. First uh, Peter four one says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, in this particular instance, and I think these things are really important to understand. You've got to see what Peter is saying and why he's saying it. Context, context, context. Um, remember, there are no chapter and verse divisions. He's talking about um, the, the baptism, a pledge of good conscience toward God. This is the end of chapter 3. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him, therefore. Now, I hate cliches, but whenever you see a therefore in the New Testament, you've got to see what it's there for. And so then he says, because Jesus is there already, and because we've surrendered our hearts to him, because we, we've pledged a good conscience toward God, and we've been saved by his resurrection since he suffered in the body, be prepared with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in the body is done with sin. That's... Jesus has dealt with sin once and for all. So, Billy, that doesn't really deal with what you're going through. Now, I know Billy, and uh, Billy is one of those uh, men, uh, one of the people that um, just suffers physically. Uh, we, we have a lot of people in our church. I'm saying it. I'm sure it's true at every church. Just a lot of people who just suffer physically a lot. Um, we've got some people in our church who've got severe back issues. Uh, some of those men and women deal with it heroically. Uh, I, I'm a person, I'm a wimp. If I hurt as much as they hurt, it would be very difficult. We've got some women in our church who are in excruciating pain daily. And to see how they deal with it, to see the courage that they muster, um, it, it's inspiring to me. 
And yet we continue to pray for them. And we pray for them because uh, we want them to get well. But it's not God's will always. In fact, usually it's not God's will. He doesn't typically intervene. It's not a matter of faith. It's not a matter of anything. It's just God knows when the Spirit of God gives the gift of healing to somebody. And remember, the gift of healing is not given to a man who heals, but the people who are sick and get healed, they're the ones who've received the gifts of healing from the Holy Spirit. So, Billy, what more applies to your situation is verse 12 in that same chapter where um, Peter writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Now, this is literally persecution. They're going through really difficult persecution. But the same principle could apply to our physical suffering. We know that the Apostle Paul himself suffered immensely physically. And uh, and on three separate occasions pleaded with the Lord to, to, to remove the pain from him. And God said, your grace is sufficient. So here's the thing that we've got to understand about physical healing. We live in a fallen world. Our bodies are falling apart. I'm at the age now where stuff happens for no reason at all. I'll get up and look and there's a new spot on my body somewhere. It's just outwardly, Paul says, we're wasting away. And these kind of of physical sufferings should make us long for the presence of the Lord. And in Billy's case, because I know him, I know he longs for the presence of the Lord. But the idea here is that should be the primary factor in motivating us to service. And understanding that God will equip us and empower us to do what we need to do. And sometimes that's going to be um, with a lot of pain and with a lot of suffering. But we're not unusual. These kinds of things happen to everyone and have been happening from the very beginning. Yes, it's true. Sometimes God heals. Most often he does not. Uh, If everybody got healed, uh, that would be... uh, you know, it would redefine what a miracle is. Um, and God says, I'm with you. And one of the things we have to remember, and, and and this is for anybody in the audience who's really suffering, Jesus suffered to an infinitely greater degree than you did. And his father, who had the power to stop it, did not. These are things we live with. When you get to heaven, all of the mysteries, all of the questions that we've asked God about, why won't you heal me? All of those questions will be answered and God will get the glory from it. I don't mean to belittle anybody's physical pain. It's difficult. In some cases, nearly impossible. But the one thing that I know is true is God's grace is always sufficient. What we've got to do is be partakers of his grace. We can't charge God foolishly. You know, a lot of times we complain about the pain we're in and what we're really doing is trying to get attention from other people. God says, hey, just me, just talk to me. And while it's difficult for those of you who are suffering physical pain, The one thing that I do know for certain is I've watched scores of people over our years here who have dealt with immeasurable pain remarkably well and continue to be fruitful, continue to hold on to their joy and be used by the Lord. Oh, the rewards in heaven for people like that. Thanks, Billy. Appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to the phone line. We've got Gina holding on line one. Gina, thanks for holding. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you. <laughs> so I heard half of your answer from um, uh, Billy's question. And so the question that I'm going to ask kind of uh, entice to it. Um, so right now I'm taking a, a philosophy class of religion. And right now we're having a topic on how God allowed Hitler to execute the Jews. And some philosophers say God broke his covenant with them, with the Jews. I know he did. He didn't because, you know, I, I am a believer. So I know um, 
um, that that did not, you know, God never broke his covenant with um, his people. And um, I know God doesn't need us to defend us, you know, God. But I wanted to know, like, how, what approach, you know, is a good way to, like, answer this question as far as um, how God allowed, you know, genocide for the Jews and to, for them to suffer so much well, from the Nazis and um, the ones that, you know, did die or were, like, in held in concentration camps, how they mm-hmm. felt, you know, God wasn't protecting them. And how can you explain, you know, God being just during, during like, those um, arguments that are being discussed as far as yeah. why does God allow evil? And I know, I know it's, you know, everybody has a choice as far as free will. Yeah, Gina, uh, these are wonderful questions, by the way, and and I love people who think through these questions, and obviously uh, you've been doing that. Um, Let me see if I can make it uh, fairly clear to you. You know, one of the things that we have to remember um, when we're talking about God's covenant, first of all, let me say this. If God breaks a promise to anybody, to anybody, then he's not God and we're all lost in our sins. That's the thing we got to remember the most. God cannot break a promise. God does not lie. He does not change. Uh, and that's why we know that God is coming back and he's going to restore all the fortunes for Israel. Uh, and he will literally and physically rule and reign from the throne of David uh, for a thousand years on this earth. That is to fulfill all of the promises that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So so if God can break a promise, we're all lost. So you're right from the beginning when you say, you know, God didn't break his covenant uh, with the Jews. Uh, we remember Jesus when he was just getting ready to go to the cross. He looked out over Jerusalem and he wept. Um, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He wept bitterly. It's a very strong word. Uh, and here's what he said. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if you knew, if you only knew that I'd come to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks. And, and he's just pouring his heart out. If you only knew what I'd come. But now, because you didn't recognize the time of God's visitation, all of these troubles are going to come upon you. And it's not just Hitler, Gina. I mean, from the very beginning, Jesus said, now this is 38 years from the time Jesus uttered these words to the actual event in history happening, it was only 38 years. He said, when you see the city surrounded by armies, and, and this would be the Roman army under the, the direction of the general Titus, um, he said, then run, because they're going to destroy this this beautiful temple that everybody's talking about will be torn down. Not one stone will be left on another stone. Um, And the blood, the slaughter was um, incomprehensible for us. Um, From that moment forward, um, God's people have been persecuted and no people group in the history of the world has been persecuted to to anywhere close to the degree that, that Jews have been persecuted. Now, we can go back in history and we can see that God allowed for example, Babylon to come in and judge his people. Why? Because his people were, were they're the ones who broke the covenant. His people uh, became idol worshipers. Um, all the things that they promised God they would do, they didn't do. And though God was patient with them, uh, eventually judgment had to come. And so Jerusalem was invaded by Nebuchadnezzar. He took uh, the best and the brightest with him. There were three separate exiles Uh, And they were in captivity for 70 years, being punished for their sins against God. And then you can go uh, further up in history toward the time that we live. We've got Nero who persecuted and slaughtered Jews. And over and over and over, uh, the, the pain and the suffering that Jews have experienced, all a result of them not recognizing the time of God's visitation to them. So um, God promised them way back in the beginning. If you do what is right, it'll go well with you. If you don't do what is right, it's not going to go well with you. And certainly because of their stubbornness and their hard-heartedness, they have been subjected to uh, more vitriol 
throughout history than any other people group in the world. Now, we saw in 1948, God begin to fulfill his covenant to Israel when Israel was permitted by the the, the uh, sentiment from the Holocaust. Uh, a world sort of apologizing allowed Israel to come back into their homeland and reestablish uh, the nation or the country uh, of Israel. Um, now, it's going to be a long journey, but nonetheless, uh, God's people are back in their homeland. That's never happened before. After 1,900 years uh, being away from their homeland, for them to be gathered back again uh, was a, a, an absolute miracle, an unprecedented miracle. And now um, Jews are getting that place. Jesus is going to come soon, and God's going to turn his attention again back to Israel. And that's when all of the covenants made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to be fulfilled. So how do you deal with people who believe this? Um, I think it's just pure logic. If God breaks a promise to anyone, is he still holy? Is he still perfect? If God can break a promise to Israel, he can break a promise to you and to me. God says, for whosoever loves him would not perish with everlasting life. Well, if God can break the promise to Abraham, then he can break that promise to us. So we have to understand, Israel has paid the price for their rebellion to be sure. And Jesus is going to come back Two-thirds of the Jews, now I'm talking about individual Jews, not the nation of Israel. Two-thirds of the Jews alive at the time that he comes back at the end of the Great Tribulation are going to still reject him. One-third of the Jews, the remnant, and it's always been a remnant that God deals with, that remnant is going to return to the one that they love. Where did you get these wounds they're going to say to him when they see him in the sky. And he's going to say, I got these wounds in the house of my friends. And that one third of those individual Jews are going to repent. And we find out who true Israel is. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapters 9 and 11 on two separate occasions says, not all Israel is Israel. Israel means governed by God. And that means not all Jews are governed by God. But those who are, God is going to come back. And he's going to establish his kingdom, sit on the throne of David, and all of those promises will be fulfilled. So Gina, God's got a pretty good track record. And those who deny uh, that God is, um, is going to fulfill his promises to Israel, I personally believe that is a satanic doctrine. Uh, not that the people who believe it are, are, are possessed by Satan, but they have been... Um, lied to, they've been fooled, there's an enemy who's twisting and distorting things. Um, all any Jew has to do is is turn to God and the veil that now covers their heart will be removed. So very important, if God can break his promise to Abraham, then Gina, he can break his promise to you and to me. Hope that helps, Gina. Thank you very, very much. And keep thinking about these things. These are really, really good things. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. You know, it just occurred to me that that we New Testament Christians we sometimes treat God the same way. You know, God loves me. I know He loves me, and then something bad happens. Oh God, if you love me, why would this happen? We need to remember that God is a promise keeper, never a promise breaker. Here is a question. This one from Derek. Our faith and believing the same thing. I believe Jesus was real, but I struggle with faith. Well, Derek, uh, faith is actively trusting God. Um, you know, faith is looking at evidence and believing the facts. Now, you say you believe that Jesus was real, um, but, but you know, the, the demons believe that, uh, and certainly they're not saved. So you've got to believe that Jesus is God, the Son of God and God the Son, you've got to believe that he died for the sins of the world and that by putting your faith in Jesus, then your sins are going to be expunged. You're going to, you're going to be completely perfect positionally and, and you're going to spend forever in heaven. Um, but, but you see, saving faith, saving faith then takes all of that information and applies it personally. So faith and believing 
uh, believing comes by faith. We're saved by grace, unmerited favor through faith. Um, so believing is is a result of faith. But you got to believe in the biblical Jesus. You got to believe in who He is and what He's done. You got to believe that He rose from the dead. Uh, you got to believe that He made everything. Everything that was made. Jesus made it. You got to believe those things. He's coming back again. And then you're going to find, Derek, that faith becomes a little bit easier. Now, the difference that, that I, I think this is where your question is going. If I'm wrong, Derek, please forgive me. But I think um, when you say that you struggle with faith, um, I think probably what you're saying is you struggle with trusting God. Um, the reality is, no matter what anybody tells you, Derek, Everybody struggles with trusting God. When God asks us to do something that doesn't make sense, he asks us to take a step of faith. Um, we're uncomfortable. I think everybody struggles with faith. But what you've got to do is remember who God is. He's a promise maker and a promise keeper. And because he is, um, and because his track record is so good, then we can trust him. I was talking to one of my pastors this afternoon here at the church and we're talking about the crazy things that God sometimes asks us to do. Um, but when we sit back and look at his track record, it actually becomes harder not to trust him than it is to trust him. Now, trusting him is going to make you uncomfortable. I think too many times we Christians, we've got this idea that that when we take a step of faith and if God's in it, everything's going to turn out okay or the problems are all going to go away. Nothing could be farther from the truth, Derek. Every time I've taken a step of faith, I was talking at the top of the program about this is uh, we're, we're completing our 24th year of a free school. Derek, I'm going to tell you, it has been crazy hard. Every day, crazy hard. Resources, money has been so difficult. And there are times when I just call out to the Lord and say, Lord, how long is this going to go on? I never get an answer to that question, by the way. But the idea is, is God wants us to be uncomfortable. I actually told our church on Sunday that God, we like our comfort zones, but God hates them. God wants us to be uncomfortable because that's when we have to exercise faith in walking with him. So Derek, let me give you a, a bit of a hint on, on how to deal with your struggle with faith. One, you've got to get into the word. I mean, you've got to really dig in. You've got to wash your brain and wash your heart with the Word of God over and over and over and over again. Because when you really dig into the Word, you're going to find out who Jesus is. You're going to find out how faithful He is. You're going to find out that He loves you, that He's crazy about you. And you've got to trust all of those things in order to take steps of faith. The other thing you've got to do is you've got to surrender your will to His. Now, this is a really hard thing. Uh, Jesus actually said it this way. He said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you'll find it. That is exactly the opposite of what we humans deal with. We, we What do you mean, lose my life? Jesus said, that's the way to find it. So what we've got to really believe, Derek, is that God's will for your life is better than anything that you might ever, ever think about. You know, you can dream crazy big. And whatever you want is nothing compared to what it's like to live in the perfect, pleasing, and acceptable will of God. And then you've got to give God a chance to show off for you. Until you experience the hand of God moving through your life, you'll never understand what it feels like. By the way, Derek, this is for you and for anybody else in the audience. This coming Wednesday, not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, uh, it is our 28th birthday as a church. Um, and uh, the Lord has, has asked Paula and me to um, to share together. Um, don't worry, Paula's not being made a pastor, nothing like that. But we're going to share together. And what he wants us to share is some of the things that we've seen God do, uh, the, the, the way he's moved 
the, the experiences we've had watching the hand of God move in and through our lives. And, and I, I can only imagine that the reason he wants us to share is because he's getting ready to move through the lives of a lot of the people in our church, and he wants them to be excited about it. It's hard. It's really hard. But when you see God's hand move, when you see miracles, and Paul and I, we literally experience miracles regularly, little tiny miracles sometimes, but miracles nonetheless, provision at just the last second. I mean, so many things. Um, When you start seeing God moving in your life like that, um, you talk about a healthy addiction. You you don't want anything else. And, And the only way to do that for Derek and for everybody else, is to uh, to really give God a chance to have his way in and then through your lives. So that's next week, next Wednesday, the 31st of May. Um, you can join us. Uh, we always have room on Wednesday nights. Um, if you can't be here, uh, you can watch it live stream at calvaryessay.com. And it's just Paul and I are going to share uh, her perspective will be different than mine, but uh, we're going to share what we have been privileged to see God do and maybe explain a little bit. This is why we're so quick to say, yes, Lord, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it's scary. And believe me, it's still scary. But when God begins to move in and through our lives, I promise you, um, you'll get hooked. You don't want anything else. And that's what God wants to do. So, hope that helps. Remember, tomorrow, our senior class will join me on the show. Uh, I'll be interviewing them. Uh, Twelve of the brightest kids you've ever seen. They love the Lord with all of their heart. So that's on the program tomorrow. Uh, Pray for our high school awards banquet that's starting in an hour. Uh, May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. You've been listening to the Word of Santa for Life. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.